Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. VPM, our local NPR station, is moving their headquarters from 23 Sesame Street in Chesterfield to downtown. The address will be 13 through 17 East Broad Street. That's between First and Fushi. It was once Cohen Company Department Store before closing in 1936. This five-story facility will feature studios for audio and TV, as well as a street-level community studio and event space. They're doing this primarily in an effort to connect more with the community. An additional building and parking will be constructed behind it. Back in the 60s, you stood a better chance of surviving a gunshot wound in Vietnam than you did a car accident in the city of Pittsburgh. This week's another double feature, and that was an excerpt from the first film. We'll talk with four-time Emmy award-winning Annette Banks, who produced a documentary titled Freedom House Ambulance, The First Responders, about the very first trained paramedics in the country, a group of black men and women in Pittsburgh. Then I'll introduce Greg Harris, a former attorney in Loudoun County, who wrote and directed a comedy titled A Look in the Rear View, about a young man who's about to get married looking back on how he got there. His wife Julie worked with him as producer, and they talk about the process of making their first movie. Sifter, review of the week. Maybe I do, on Hulu. Richard Gere and Susan Sarandon play a married couple having an affair. Diane Keaton and William H. Macy also play married couples having an affair. The daughter of one of them, Emma Roberts, and the son of the other, Luke Bracey, decide to get their parents together, and guess what happens? Even though the musical beds play across both couples, this isn't a sex farce. There are some amusing moments, thanks primarily to the top-notch cast, but this is mostly a heartfelt look at marriage and long-term love. With the endless dramatic encounters and monologue moments, it's obvious this was adapted from the play by writer-director Michael Jacobs. While the potential for wacky fun could have been realized by this cast, they instead deal, effectively, with sincere emotions. I gave Maybe I Do two and a half out of five stars. Annette Banks, do you realize that we actually have something in common? We both went to RPI. Really? No, I did not know that. Well, actually, not exactly in common. The RPI went to was called Richmond Professional Institute. Yeah, everybody used to confuse it, RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, with RPI, Richmond Professional Institute, which became Virginia Commonwealth University around the time I graduated. Sorry about the little false start there. Anyway, so what got you into to making movies and documentaries in the first place? Um, I saw an ad at the end of an email I got. I have no idea what motivated me to go all the way to the bottom of this email, but I did. And it was an ad from our local PBS affiliate, WQED, saying that they had a fellowship for future filmmakers. I had been doing a little bit of freelance work at that point with the local university doing videos for grant applications. Uh-huh. I had that to show her and yeah, she took a look and I got the fellowship and it all went from there. Wow, that's great. So uh, to back up for a second, what was your major at RPI? Mechanical. I'm a mechanical engineer. Oh, okay. So you're in a totally different world now. Yeah. Although, you know, I'm, the the same skills that I have for engineering are, are really helpful with what I do here. In what way? I'm able to take large amounts of information and, and kind of hold them in my brain and pull them together and look for patterns and 
you know, the kind of things that, that you do with all the interviews you have and when you're creating a stories. How did Freedom House Ambulance come about? Did you discover it? Did they bring it to you? Or This was back about a year and a half ago, and the local schools were still doing some Zoom classes because of COVID. And I came across a tweet, I think, from the local history center, Heinz History Center. They had a webinar available for middle and high school students about Freedom House Ambulance. And they were going to have one of the original paramedics on the Zoom call and available to ask questions to. And I thought to myself, well, what's Freedom House Ambulance? Yeah, really? I had never heard of it. And so I started doing a little research and discovered what it was and was just embarrassed and blown away that I had never heard of it. You want to give us a little quick nutshell version of what the Freedom House Ambulance and what the documentary is about? Sure. So in the 60s, across the country, there was no such thing as a paramedic or an EMT. At that time, local police or fire departments, or in some cases, undertakers, were the people that responded when you had an emergency and needed to get to a hospital. In the 60s as well, there was a lot of racial um, unrest and uh, just a bad relationship between the police and the African-American community. And so oftentimes when they called the police for help, the police would either not show up or get there late. So it was a really bad situation for them. A local funding organization was thinking that we should do something about this. We should have the African-American neighborhood called the Hill District take care of them their own emergency calls. Um, Dr. Peter Saffer, who's known as the father of CPR, found out about it. And together, he and the founder brought on a number of uh, men and women from this neighborhood and trained them to be our country's very first paramedics. Pretty amazing, pretty incredible story. I know you had to do some research, obviously, and you have lots of stock footage and stock photos, which I know takes time to find. What was your biggest challenge in putting this whole thing together? So actually the B-roll was one of the biggest challenges. The footage that I have in the video is primarily from a collection from a local photographer, and they belong to the Carnegie Museum of Art here in Pittsburgh. And uh, they are the only photos we really have available of what African-American life looked like in the city during that time. That was a big help. The other challenge is that we really wanted to keep it 30 minutes or less. That's a good length for the schools to be able to show videos in the classroom, you know, so as a teaching aid. and It's ironic you mentioned that because that was going to be our next question is I know you had more than 30 minutes worth of footage. So that's a big challenge. I've done it myself. I know. Right. Yeah. And, and as you can imagine, there were, you know, many, many, many stories that these paramedics shared with me. And, and so deciding what to keep in, what to take out, who to talk to, um, really fitting it all in 30 minutes was my biggest challenge, I think. Surprise guest drop-in. Ty? Hey, how you doing? Footnote. Ty Cooper is a Charlottesville filmmaker who hosts the indie short film series at Vinegar Hill. You obviously already know Annette Banks. Hi, Ty. Hey, how you doing? How did you come upon Freedom House Ambulance and decide to ask Annette to come down and talk about it? This is just how life is. I took my girlfriend to, I was taking her to Alabama to see her family for her birthday, surprising her. But on the way, I wanted to stop overnight in Asheville. So I just 
arranged a whole little thing for her. So we were on this bike tour, this e-bike tour. So as we were, you know, kind of going up the hill, driving around, you know, to get to our destination, I met this lovely um, young woman. I told her about my film that I had, and she talked about what she did. Oh, by the way, her name was Annette Banks. And, oh, and yeah. then, uh, that I figured, then, right? <laughs> yes. You know, we started communicating from time to time. And um, she had the film that she had that was in the can that was done. And I would say, hey, you know, I would love to um, screen that. You know, it'd be a way of getting her here, you know, to Charlottesville. Well, to, I'm in France right now, but to get her to Charlottesville and, and, um, and it worked out. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Ty, is there anything else you want to tell us about that film series? I'll have a link on the a website, of course, to tickets and all that kind of stuff, too. Okay, yeah. The, the film series, this is the 12th installment at Vinegar Hill Theater in Charlottesville, Virginia. It consists of the panel discussion, the filmmaker's panel discussion, of which Annette sits on. You know, I try to make sure that people can get something out of the entire film block. And I'm just, I'm just elated to have Annette Banks come in town. She's a four-time Emmy Award filmmaker. Janet, you have anything to say to him over there in France? I want to say congratulations. Um, Thank he, you. Uh, maybe, Ty, you can explain why I'm saying congratulations. <laughs> yes, I, I proposed to my, my lady of four and a half years, and it was great. We, I proposed to her on the Sin River on the boat cruise. So the pictures are great, and the Eiffel Tower is in the background. She said, yes, I'm happy. She's happy. So, yeah. Great, great. Congratulations. And we <laughs> want to wish you bon voyage and bon chance. And merci Thank beaucoup you. for coming on. <laughs> merci. I appreciate, I appreciate everything that you do, Jerry. Thank you so much for supporting um, continuously. Yeah, yeah. And I will have a link uh, to your original podcast. You were one of my earliest podcasts a year, over okay. a year ago. And I'll have a link to that on the webpage for this show, too. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you so much. And thank you, Annette, making yourself available to speak with Jerry about your film and also about the event. Saturday, July 8th, doors open at 6.15 p.m. Screening time begins at 7 p.m. sharp. So thank right. you so much, everyone. Okie dokie. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, so what's next for you? So I'm working on a video about one of the very first African-American female police officers that was hired in the city of Pittsburgh um, in the 70s. I met her as part of Making Freedom House, and she just has a an incredible story. And so uh, we're doing a short about her life. Um, and the impact she's had on the city here. So what is your major objective with this documentary? My objective is really just to get this story out there. It's history that that should be shared, that should be known. And, and again, it's not just Pittsburgh history. It is Pittsburgh history, but it's American history and important history. Um, so many lives have been saved as a result of the work that these men and women did and their story was was nearly forgotten, you know, nearly lost. So it's um, really important to me just to get this out wherever we can. Um, I'm making it available. I'm making myself available. Whatever we can do to share the story, that's my ultimate goal. And one question I always like to ask everybody, when you're not working, what are you watching? And you don't have to say everything's on QED either. <laughs> Well, I always have half a dozen different things going on at the same time, you know, different series. But I think the the most recent one I finished was The Diplomat. It was pretty um, good. Yeah, I loved her character in that. Yeah, yeah she was great. Um, it was a little far-fetched, just like, really? Come on. But she did a great job with it. Yeah, I think so. And then uh, recently, we always go to film festivals that are around, my husband and I. And recently, 
we had a Jewish film festival and there was a film there that I know for the most part did not go over well, but I loved it. Um, it was called My Neighbor Adolf. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can figure what the subject must be, obviously, just from the title. Right. And it's kind of a comedy, but it's just a really touching story that was not obvious, like, you know, what it, what was going to happen from the beginning. And I always like that. Huh. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, Lynette, this has been fascinating. It's an incredible story to learn about, and you did a great job on telling it. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Annette Banks, who produced a documentary titled Freedom House Ambulance, The First Responders, about the very first trained paramedics in the country, a group of black men and women in Pittsburgh. As Ty mentioned, there will be a free screening as part of the indie short film series at the Vinegar Hill Theater, Saturday, July 8th at 7 p.m. On the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com, I'll also include a link to WQED, where the show can be watched at any time free. Now it's time for Greg and Julie Harris to tell us about producing their first movie, A Look in the Rear View. So, Julie and Ed Harris, you're up in Loudoun County. How long you been there? Uh, we've been here 24 years. And what did y'all do before you decided, hey, let's make a movie? <laughs> Greg can answer that one. Well, what I did, I was a lawyer for 30 plus years. And uh, Julie was had the much more important job of raising our kids. And then I retired about eight years ago. And I had gribbled some some uh, notes that, just for kicks with my son for giggles and kept working on it and finally said, hey, let's go ahead and produce a movie. Julie didn't like the script, but she said, okay. <laughs> and then we, we went forward. And, and once we started auditioning actors, she actually started liking it because they were making the script better than the way I wrote it. Right. And now Julie laughs more than I do. I wasn't fully on the same page that he was. It was a slow process getting to the let's actually make a movie because not having any connection to any productions or movie business or anything like that. You don't really know where to start. And uh, so where so did you really start? We did some things on um, casting. How do you cast a movie? Uh, we watched um, some YouTube videos on that. I remember doing a little bit of that. Well, I read a lot of books on a lot of different elements, the the fun side, the art side, directing side, the, the business side too. You, you know, the uh, copyright issues, the, uh, right, right. Uh, the tax issues, all of that. In addition to the reading and studying, I did a lot of casting, but just reviewing reels on backstage. Probably a year before we ever really decided to go forward for sure yeah the, nowadays unfortunately a lot of casting is done through what they call self-tape which is unfortunate because you don't get the interaction with the human being up front but that comes later when you had to start assembling a crew what were your first steps i mean if you did you say we got to find a producer we got to find a dp we got to figure out somebody who has a little more experience than us i would assume right yeah, well we, we knew that we wanted to be the least experienced people on the team uh -huh. we had no experience first thing we did was get a, an entertainment lawyer and then the, the first person we hired was the director of photography and how did you find him what we were thinking at the time because this is uh like january february 2021 and what our process was we obviously could not afford uh, a seasoned um what we thought was a seasoned cinematographer. And so what we thought we could do is we could go to some of the bigger universities who have big film schools. That's how we found Jeremy Royce, 
through professors at University of Southern California. He happens to teach there. That was a, a pleasant surprise, how responsive the professors were and how good the DPs were that well, we were interviewing. You said he was a professor out there, so I'm assuming you got him here for the summer. Principal photography was over uh, a month. In uh, July. And, and he came out two weeks before during the spring to, uh, for location, shot list, and all the rest. Even from Los Angeles, he was able to put together a great seasoned group of people here in Virginia and Maryland and metro area here. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And now about casting, you said you did, you know, you did online casting. I assume at some point you had to get these people to come here and East Coast anyway. Yeah, Yeah. we auditioned all over the country for many of the positions. The callbacks uh, were in person and uh, we were very fortunate because some of the principal, the, the most important roles. And a lot of them came from this area. You were still trying to deal a little bit with COVID restrictions, weren't you? Yep. Yeah. COVID yep. was still an issue. And so we had to be careful about COVID. Follow Everyone COVID. was vaccinated and it wasn't as big an issue as it had been. You didn't have like a COVID officer or anything on set. We we didn't. And we, we talked to our lawyers about that. And uh, we, we had COVID uh, policies in, in place. And I did see Sergei Trebeskoy's name in the credits. Footnote. Sergei Trebetskoy is president of Main Street Petersburg and has worked in the tourism industry for many years. So I called him and said, Sergey, what did you do on this thing? He said, I didn't do anything. I think they borrowed some something from Petersburg, which is why his name was in there. Oh, right. Yeah. So as a producer, I was tasked with finding all the locations. And um, so uh, after talking with Lori Russell at the Virginia Film Office, she said, give Sergey a call, which I did. And he could not have been more helpful. In May, I'm running down to Petersburg because there's a spanket school down there. A few months prior to my coming down there had caught fire. Oh, wow. So it was a a big uh, mess, but they had a whole buildings full of high school chairs and lockers and desks and things that could be put into a school. So the school location was a marriage of the stuff I had to bring up from Petersburg with the location, which it was a, uh, it was very chaotic at that time, but it was that. Welcome to production, Julie. I know, I know. <laughs> so where did you end up finding a classroom? It was really somebody at one of the locations we were looking at said, oh, why don't you go over to the Carver Center in Percival? Uh, which turned out to be the absolute perfect place because it was a former school. Um, it's now a senior center. They were fabulous. It had all the locations we needed. I've never bothered to ask y'all, what is the basic story? It's a story of uh, the groom's transition to adulthood. It was uh, meant to be told in a way that was, at least the goal was to tell it in a way that was funny and interesting, sort of sophomoric cerebral and maybe emotional, but with the emphasis on sophomoric. So I mean, my goal, whether I achieved it is yet to be seen, but my goal was that people who wanted to uh, just turn their brains off and see something that was stupid funny, was sophomoric funny. Right. Well, let me, and I'll just throw in the capsule plot there. It's basically this, this young man is getting ready to get married and his Friends come into the room with him and they do flashbacks. He tells stories from high school and other stuff like that until the end. I know from our previous discussion that you don't have a distributor yet, so you're still trying to figure out how you're going to get it out there. What are you trying to do to get it out there? We, we do have a, a, a booker, a theater booker, 
And the ideal plan would be to have a, a limited theatrical distribution, if we can get it. He's uh, in discussions with 15 or so theaters, which is what we're shooting for, different locations uh, uh, around the country. He, he thinks we'll, we'll be able to be in that number of theaters in September. I noticed in the credits that the music was composed by the famous Randy Edelman, who's done all kinds of movies. Footnote. Randy Edelman has composed scores for dozens of movies, including Kindergarten Cop, Beethoven, The Last of the Mohicans, and The Mask. How did that happen? How did you swing that? We had a music supervisor who had worked with Randy and... He said early on, he said, I, I have no idea if Randy would be interested in this, but it's, it's worth showing to him. And we had a rough cut at that at that stage. It wasn't polished. It wasn't final. Right. He thought it was hilarious. I mean, that he that and turned out, I'm in. And not only that, but once he started working on it, he rolled up his sleeves, probably worked 10 times harder than he ever envisioned. Yeah. And he did it just because he loved the art of it. And then after it was done. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll do a soundtrack that you can use for as a promotional item if you want. It's amazing. And, it was and he composed it start to finish. All that music, there's none of that was pulled for a lot from library? There are about like eight songs. songs that the music supervisor got. There, some of them are just uh, bits of the song. Right. 90%, more than 90% of the, of the music is the scoring that Randy did. I mean, he composed and performed it. So when you guys aren't out trying to promote your movie, what do you watch at home? What do y'all like to hang out with? Wow, I'm I'm um I stick with what I love, which is I usually watch repeatedly some of the same shows and I think I'm watching Peaky Blinders for the fourth time. Oh, wow, okay. I'm I'm on it I think the the second time. Oh, I watched okay. recently Mayor of Kingstown, which is not a genre that I normally love, but I, I really like that. After all, that was written and produced by Taylor Sheridan. It's not as popular as Yellowstone. I tried watching Yellowstone. Julie and I did, and we it was good, but we couldn't get into it. Pennyworth is another thing I loved. And and Trap, we both, Julie and I both watched Trap. Trapped. I love Trap. Uh, more than once, and we, we loved that. It's interesting y'all watch stuff more than once with all the stuff coming out all the time, but... Uh... I never go back and rewatch something because there's just so many new things. I'm always moving forward. I know. I know. And, uh, and sometimes we're picky because we try a lot of things. And if, if we don't love it, we usually go back to something that we love. Well, we'll hope that people will love it when you release a look in the rear view. I want to thank you both, Julie and Greg, for talking to me today. And uh, we'll keep people posted when uh, something happens with the screening or when it goes to streaming or whatever. Right. Great, great. Thank yes. you, Jerry. Yeah, really appreciate you your time. Really appreciate it. That was Greg and Julie Harris, who produced their first movie titled A Look in the Rear View. At this time, there are no screenings or showings of the film, but there's a link to their website with the trailer on the webpage for this show at TV Jerry. Coming soon in theaters. Asteroid City. The latest from Wes Anderson looks like a 50s-style sci-fi comedy, with a cast that includes Tom Hanks, Scarlett Johansson, and Steve Carell. No Hard Feelings. Jennifer Lawrence plays a woman who's hired by parents to bring their 19-year-old son out of his shell before college in this sex comedy. Past Lives. This highly praised drama follows two childhood friends from Korea as they reconnect 20 years later. The Last Rider. This is based on Greg LeMond, the first American to win the Tour de France in 1989. Squaring the Circle, the story of hypnosis. 
This is a documentary about that famous design studio that created some of the greatest album covers of all time. Persian Lessons, inspired by the true story of a young Jew in a concentration camp whose life is saved because he teaches Farsi to a camp officer. TV and streaming. Secret Invasion on Disney. Instead of cameo appearances, Samuel L. Jackson returns as Nick Fury from Marvel's S.H.I.E.L.D. for this series that revolves around him. I'm a Virgo on Prime. A coming-of-age comedy with one unusual aspect. The teen is 13 feet tall. World's Best on Disney. Rosh Patel is a math expert, but he becomes obsessed with his father when he finds out he was a rapper. Glamorous on Netflix. Even though Kim Cattrall makes one short appearance in the new season of Just Like That, she stars in this series as a makeup mogul who hires a gender nonconformer played by Miss Benny. Speaking of that, and Just Like That on Max, the Sex and the City trio returns for a second season. The Bear returns for season two on FX with Jeremy Allen White. I've interviewed Andy Edmonds, the head of the Virginia Film Office, several times, but there are several other offices that serve specific localities. And next week, we'll meet Sergei Trebetskoy, who's been involved with several of them and was mentioned by the Turners in that story you heard today about getting school props from Petersburg. He'll talk about working with these different locations and some of the fun things that happened. You can subscribe to this podcast at all the usual platforms, or you can visit tvjerry.com, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. See you next week. For more sister, including literally thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews. visit tvjerry.com.